Morning, it's Paul here, one of the pastors, Cornerstone Church Liverpool. Great to see you this morning. We're in the book of Philippians, so I know we've just had it read for us, but if you've got your Bibles, it'd be great if you could have your Bibles open as well. So this, this book that we're working through is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who's in, in prison. He's probably under house arrest at this point. And he's under house arrest for proclaiming the gospel. And he writes to a group of, of believers in the Roman province of Philippi, and he has a deep affection, a deep love for these people. But Paul himself, he's going through some suffering and persecution. And he tells him in his letter that he has, a, he has a joy in it because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. And his desire is for Christ to be honoured in his life and in his death. And his purpose is to live for Christ and to die for the gospel of Christ. And in today's passage that we're looking at, he moves from himself into their context. So look at verse 27 with me says this this is the start of the passage only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of christ see paul's not sure if he's going to get out of prison he, he may he may die and what he's calling the philippian believers to is to live lives worthy of the gospel of christ and actually says here behave as citizens worthy of the gospel you'll see that in your footnotes if you've got your bibles open there that and what to understand what paul is is saying it's really important to understand the philippian context you see Philippi wasn't in Italy, but it was a Roman colony. And as a Roman colony, it had a, an influx of retired military veterans, all loyal to Caesar and the Roman Empire. And as a Roman colony, the citizens of Philippi would have received a, a, a Roman citizenship. And they would have been loyal to Caesar. They would have got real pride in their, their status. And they would have been granted as citizens of Rome special privileges, special blessings. And they would have been expected, because of these privileges and blessings, to live in, in light of that, to actually live lives that displayed their allegiance to Rome and to Caesar. And what Paul is doing, he's taking that and he's lifting their eyes higher. He takes this context of citizenship and he says that they are citizens of heaven, children of God. That's what citizens of heaven are, subjects of the king of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he says live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, he is saying behave as citizens of the gospel of Christ. Live your manner in a manner worthy of citizens, as citizens of the gospel of Christ. So what is the gospel? You see, the Philippians, they would have understood the benefits of, of Caesar and the privileges of Caesar. So let's just pause for a minute and just reflect on, on what Paul is saying when he, when, he, when he brings the gospel in. You see, people, we, we have a purpose, we have a point. Our purpose, our point is to live in relationship to our creator, God, that's where the privileges and blessings are found for human beings. It's just common sense. He is our creator. We are the created. But the first people and everyone ever since has rejected God. And the world is broken. It's decaying. There's death everywhere because of this broken relationship between humanity and God. Like a river cut off from its source. There's no life, no vitality. It's gone. And the Bible takes us further and says that because of our rejection of God, we deserve punishment. There is a condemnation brought by our guilt, our sin. And into this, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came. He was the only perfect human. He lived perfectly in every way before God, but went and died in our place, taking our punishment, taking our condemnation. So he had it all. He had the riches of heaven, but he gave it all up for us. Rising to life, he made it possible for us to have life, eternal life, to be connected back to the source of all good, the source of life, the source of joy, the source of peace to God in Christ. And he is now at the Father's right hand, the Bible tells us, ruling and reigning to one day return in the future and make all things new. So we, 
and the Philippian believers as citizens of heaven receive the grace of God. So we receive forgiveness, we receive purity, we receive adoption as children. We are a family. We have received, as Paul says in Ephesians, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And as recipients of this wonderful reality, these privileges and blessings that we receive, we are called to live in light of them. We are called to behave as citizens of the gospel, to live lives worthy of the gospel. The assumption here is that citizens of heaven will have lives changed by the gospel. And so for the rest of the passage, Paul, what he does, he calls them to live this out in the context that they are faced with. So first of all, that's 27 down to 30. We see that Paul is going to call them to stand firm in suffering for the gospel. Let's read it together. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. <laughs> Paul is clearly facing opposition and persecution. The Philippians are clearly facing op op opposition and persecution. So in verse 28, Paul says that the opponents, they have a potential to frighten them. In verse 29, he says that they're suffering because of their Christian lives. In verse 30, he says the same suffering, the suffering you face is the same one I faced. See, when the church was, was planted, Philippi and Paul went about gathering these believers. We see it in Acts 16. Paul was beaten and imprisoned right at the start of their story. And now Paul is writing to them from being in prison for the gospel. Paul is saying that living for Jesus Christ brings conflict. As your lives are changed by the gospel, you're going to get pushback from the culture around you. As you seek to live lives of purity or within a, a moral framework given to us by God, you're going to push people's buttons. If you seek to live in the limitations that God gives, limitations that bring deep, deep joy, but limitations all the same, that people will react with anger and bitterness, physically or, or with words. People might feel an attack on their own idols or the cultural idols, maybe their ways of life or their self-expression. People want to have a freedom to express themselves exactly how they want. They want to push back against any external authority that tells them who they are and what life is. See, we might not get beaten like the Philippians would have for being a Christian, but it might affect our job prospects, our relationships, our friendships. It could affect us financially. You might get called names for living the way that God calls you to, for believing that God defines who we are, how we best function, what it means for humanity to truly flourish, where true freedom is, what true joy is, actually what is good and what is bad people are going to push bad back and sadly folks some will actually hate you so how do we live lives worthy of the gospel in the context of suffering paul gives them a few handles to step into first of all he says standing firm together for the gospel in verse 27 stand firm hold your ground even in the opposition how do you do that? In the face of such pressure, in the face of such cultural pressure, in the face of such relational pressure, how do we do that? Romans 14.4 tells us that Jesus Christ enables us to stand. We have help from God himself. 
The video we just watched with uh, the lady Kurta from India, it's quite clear her courage and strength came from the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to give up the truth. We are not to be silent on the truth because of the cultural pressure. We are not to be quiet just to blend in and make life easy. We are to stand firm in the truth of the gospel. God is real. God is truth. He defines truth, not us. Stand in his truth. And yes, we need to be humble and gentle and patient and gracious and loving. But we need to do it with a bold, courageous clarity and confidence. Cornerstone Church, we are to stand firm in the gospel truth. Second of all, he calls them to strive in verse 27. Strive together side by side. Strive for the truth with one mind given by God, his Holy Spirit. And this strive in the Paul talks about the image here as one of a contest of, of athletes on the same team completing a challenge. Or the, the phalanx, you know, when you get the, the, the Greek armies and the Roman armies, they would join their shields together in that square and they would advance slowly together going into, into battle with their shields locked. And they would know if they turned to the left or to the right that there was people with them. And this could only be done together. It doesn't work on your own. Cornerstone Church, we are together. We are united in the gospel. By the spirit of the living God, we are a family. We are God's ambassadors. We are his people. We are his children. We are called into battle under Christ the victor to step forward together. And every one of us has a part to play. I used to play a lot of football um, back when I was a, a little bit younger. and About 20 years ago, it was before I was a... Christian, I played for a, a team called Fords. It was a local team. It was a lot of lads from, from Netherly, and they played across Liverpool. And it was a bit rough. There was a bit of trouble on the, on the pitch at, at different times, as you know, in football in Liverpool, it can happen. And the manager was a guy called Robbie Lee. Lovely guy. But at the start of every game, he would gather us all, and he would say this. If it kicks off today, if someone's in trouble, I don't care where you are on the pitch, get there, get in there, be together. On one level, that... Um, that really scared me. See, at the time, I was a geography teacher, and geography teachers, they're not renowned for being good fighters, I'll be honest with you, but also gave me a degree of comfort. See, if something did happen and I was caught up in something I, I, I was having trouble dealing with, then I knew that people would be there, there would be strength in numbers. Do we see ourselves in battle together? Do we see ourselves standing firm and stepping forward for the gospel? Taking hills, advancing, the light of the gospel bursting into the darkness. See, it's by design that we don't do this alone. God's people are called to stand and step forward. Thirdly, we're called not to be frightened. That's what he says to the Philippians, verse 28. You see, the Philippians all around them, it would have, there would have been power and all kinds of oppression around them. So the people around them, they had, they had that power. There was the military guys, the ex-army guys, the power of Caesar was behind their opponents. So they would have faced the, the physical pressure. Of, of maybe beatings, they would have faced the social pressure, the economic pressure, the suffering. There would have been honour and shame issues, and it might not have been happening at this time, but it would have built up over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And the word that Paul uses is frightened. It's the word that you see when wild horses are scared and they just run off in panic. See, fear and panic are contagious. I was told recently that anxiety in a system, a relational system, it passes very quickly, quickly spreads through it. Calm also passes through a system, but it does it a lot slower. Paul is saying, don't be frightened. Okay, but in the face of all this pressure, in the face of all this oppression and the power that the people around had, why not? Why not? And Paul draws their eye to God. He says, because you're on God's side. 
It's actually your opponents who have the real reason to fear. They are going to face the judgment of God, the eternal wrath, the eternal anger of God himself. And they're going to face destruction. These are chilling words that he uses. For you believers, you're going to go through judgment. You will receive salvation taken by God through the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And fourthly, he says there's purpose in suffering. Verse 29, just, just look closely at that verse. It says, but it has been granted to you, given to you. Wow. Given by God. See, your belief has been given to you. That's there in the verse as well. But also, your suffering has been given to you. Being united to Christ, like Paul, you will endure suffering for the gospel. But there is a greater purpose. He's saying there's no accident, there's no divine punishment here, but it's actually the opposite. God actually works his purpose out through the suffering of his people so that many will have life. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a pastor of overseas mission for a number of different um, overseas missionaries. And he was telling me the story that happened um, two weeks ago. And he was telling me the story it was a, of a... Um, a small church, in a, it's in a Muslim context in the Middle East, in a city of several million, which only has a church of 25 people in it. And this church had been witnessing to the different people around it, and a Muslim lady had come to faith. And her family had found that she told her mum. And this lady's mum then um, told all the family to ostracise her. She was kept in her home. Her husband was involved in all this. There were family members who come, she was beaten. She was not allowed to socialise or relate. And then one day her husband came home from work and said that he'd given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason he gave was because of the witness from his wife standing on the truth of the gospel with the Lord Jesus Christ, how she had testified and witnessed to him through her sufferings and what she had suffered. And this family was united in the gospel of Christ. You see, we are called to stand firm, to strive together, not frightened in our suffering, but to see the purpose for the glory of God and the good of others. See, then Paul, he moves around, he says... To live lives worthy of the gospel requires us to be united as a community, putting others' interests before our own. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, he calls them to a unity in the gospel. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. There seems to be a an undercurrent in Philippi of disunity in the church. Later on, as we wake our way through the book, we're going to see some of that relational disunity, possibly factions might be forming. And disunity is so dangerous for a community. It splits and destroys churches. Sometimes disunity can be for the right reasons. It can be. But more often than not, it's for the wrong reasons. Disunity, division, they, they weakness the witness of the church. It doesn't display the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the method that the devil uses to destabilize and derail God's people. So how can we have unity in the gospel? And I think verse 1 here that we've just looked at shows us. So when Paul uses these if statements, they're not questions, but statements that Paul assumes to be true. And what he's doing, he's drawing their eyes to God. He's helping the church see who they are. He's saying God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they are in perfect community. They have been for all time and always will be. And the blessings from that perfect community flow out to us and flow out from us. So the Christian community is built on and empowered by the overflow of the Trinitarian community. 
And so Paul says you, you have encouragement in Christ. The encouragement in Christ flows from God to us. What Jesus Christ has done, what Jesus Christ is doing is a source of encouragement for the Christian community. I don't know about you, but I just love hearing stories of what Jesus Christ is doing in people's lives. And I talk to, to people in my gospel community and I hear how people are maybe just growing in their faith. There's, there's, there's one of the guys in the gospel community that I'm in who is actually reaching out to someone in his local area. And this guy just has a, a real passion and desire to know more. He's even making a friend sing songs to him, Christian songs to him. And it just stirs my heart as I hear those stories thinking, wow, Jesus is just doing so much in so many different places. And these things, folks, they should be talked about. They should be shared. They should be celebrated. Look what Jesus Christ is doing. He's moving, he's working, he's acting in and through our lives. And there is comfort in love. God's strength in our weakness. The comfort of Jesus Christ's love for his church that he displays to us flows into us and flows outwards and is displayed in the church. We have participation in the Spirit. So believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. So we have a, a conscious experience of the Holy Spirit, his, his indwelling. We have a, a conscious experience of his activity, which is in our lives. And in that participation that we have in and through the Spirit, we have fellowship together, brothers and sisters in Christ, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a global family, all children of the living God. And in affection and sympathy is God's merciful compassion. God displayed it first to us. Just reflect on the moment of your salvation and what God has done for you in Christ. He has displayed that to you. And in light of that, we display it to others. We have a deep affection, a deep care for the welfare of brothers and sisters in our church family. See, these are all blessings from the Trinitarian God. He was the fountain of life. So his love, his comfort, his fellowship, his mercy, his compassion, his affection, all pour into the Christian community and all pour out through the Christian community, through all of us. This is not just a select few, but this is every believer in Christ. And Paul, what he says is that the, the community, that the, the community receives the overflow from the Trinity, we are to have the same mind, to think the same way. Think as a family, to see the unity that you have, to feel that unity that you have. And by that, what I mean is the shared pain, the shared purpose, the shared goals, the shared point of life. We say we are united because we are united. And Paul can say, complete my joy. It gives him real joy to see Christian brothers and sisters living out the unity that they have in the gospel. So will you contribute into the unity of the church? Does your manner of life lead to unity or disunity? Or about your actions? Or about your words, the quiet words that you might say, or the loud words that you might say? The unity of the Church of Christ can be a powerful witness to the watching world. What Paul then does, he shows the reason for disunity and he gives a solution. Look at verse 3 to 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Selfishness, selfish ambition and conceit, Paul says, are enemies of a united church. Selfish ambition being like a rivalry, wanting your own way, wanting your own methods, being all about you. And 
kind of the attitude that looks left and right, not in fellowship and encouragement, but in rivalry and comparison, which leads to, to envy and bitterness, can overflow into to quarreling, can overflow into disunity, or can overflow into isolation. And then there's conceit, it actually means empty glory, it's vanity, saying, thinking it's about you. See, Paul has just said, hasn't he? We looked at this last week, that life is not about your own honour, but about Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that he lived and died for Christ's glory and the good of others, and now he's, he's calling the Philippians to that. He was showing what it means to live a life worthy, a manner of life worthy of the gospel. Which simply is what he said last week, to live for the glory of God and the good of others. And he's saying it. He said it before and he's saying it again. That's the solution to disunity. In light of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, in light of what you have received, live for the glory of God and the good of others. And what that specifically looks like, he actually takes them to. He points them to saying that actually it should be about others' interests. That is actually... Looking to others' interests means look to the things of others. So asking questions internally and externally, not of self-pity for yourself or conceit. Questions which might be, what about me? Well, I need more. I want more. Where's my care? Where are the people? But outward-looking questions. How are they getting on? How are they in their faith? What are their struggles? How can I serve others this week? How can I draw alongside others this week? And who does this? See, none of us can be the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't be everything to everyone. This is not for one person. It's not for one pastor. It's not for an elder. It's not for a GC leader. It's not for a GC leader. It's not for a mature friend. But it needs everyone in the church community to be engaged in this way. That's where health is. So we can all reach out and we can all care for those around us. So in your gospel community, who are the people in it that you know to be struggling? Who are the people in the wider church that you know may be struggling? Maybe it's someone on their own at this point. Maybe God has laid someone in your heart, someone who, who might be more vulnerable, but maybe it's someone you would never guess would need that contact, but God has laid on your heart to reach out. And yes, we can say, can't we, that, that at the moment, well, it's, it's really difficult in this current situation. But what can we do? We can go for a walk. We can go one-to-one. -one. The weather's okay at the moment. That Actually, we can arrange it today. We can arrange it this week. We can do a doorstep chat. We can go knocking on and with a bit of social distance, chat to people on their doorstep. We can bless people. We can think, how can I bless people? Schedule time every day to bless people, to think, how can I be a blessing to the people around me? Literally schedule it every day for the next week. Start building habits. See, at the end of this month, we can actually sit down for the coffee outside. Wow, imagine that. On a bench, in a park. Pray about it. And yes, folks, we should meet our close friends, our friends, and we should meet our family members. I'm not saying not to, but my question is, who else? Who else? You spend time praying this week. Who is God bringing to mind? And don't ignore it. Don't put it off. What would it look like to put their things first? To ask yourself the question, how can you love people this week? How can you serve people this week? How can you care for people this week? In fact, asking yourself the question, what are their things, their interests? See, I think this is a challenging question because the reality is, unless we spend time with people, talking, knowing them, being known by them, getting to know them in all the different ways, we're not going to know their interests. So we need to spend time, to set aside time, to get to know people. How can you cultivate new habits? 
to walk in this way, new priorities. And yes, folks, I know people are busy at this point. Some people are busier than others. Life is going through different phases and changes. I get that, but this is a priority. It's in yours and others' best interest. The Christian community, we are not called to a, a shallow, fleeting friendship. We are called to deep, committed, pursuing, loving friendship, one to another, which is in the awkward silences, in the good times, in the grief, over Zoom, if it has to be, in the mountains and valleys that life can bring through all the ups and through all the downs of life. Cornerstone Church, let me sum this up, what is being said here, that we are a community formed by the Trinitarian God, overflowing with the love and compassion of the, live, of the living Trinitarian God, together putting others first. Let's live lives for the glory of God in Christ, standing firm in the truth, striving together for the gospel, prepared to suffer for Christ, letting our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of our wonderful Lord and Saviour. Let me pray. Father, now to you, you are able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before your presence, the presence of your glory with great joy. To you, the only God, our Saviour, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless.